Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. <laughs> and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. Sadastor by Clark Ashton Smith, first published in Weird Tales, July 1930. This is a nice three-page prose poem. Uh, sometimes not classified as a prose poem, but it's so beautiful to read that uh, I think you have to read it aloud to fully appreciate it. And uh, I would ask that you do so for us. I will. <clears throat> I will try, Jesse. It's a piece full of strange words, some of which I may not pronounce the way that Smith would have liked them pronounced, just because I don't know what was in his head. Okay. Sadaster. Listen, for this is the tale that was told to a fair Lamia by the demon Cardnaitis as they sat together on the top of Mophi above the sources of the Nile in those years when the Sphinx was young. Now the Lamia was vexed for her beauty was grown an evil legend in both Thebias and Elephantine so that men were become fearful of her lips and cautious of her embrace, and she had had no lover for almost a fortnight. She lashed her serpentine tail on the ground and moaned softly and wept those mythical tears which a serpent weeps, and the demon told this tale for her comforting. Long, long ago in the red cycles of my youth, said Cardinatus, I was like all young demons and was prone to use the agility of my wings in fantastic flights to hover and poise like a gyre eagle above Tartarus and the pits of Python or to lift the broad blackness of my vans on the orbit of stars. I have followed the moon from evening twilight to morning twilight, and I have gazed on the secrets of that Medusian face which she averts eternally from the earth, and I have read through filming ice the ithophallic runes on columns yet extant in her deserts, and I know the hieroglyphs which solve forgotten riddles or hint Ionian histories on the walls of her cities taken by ineluctable snow. I have flown through the triple ring of Saturn and have mated with lovely basilisks on isles towering league high from stupendous oceans where each wave is like the rise and fall of Himalayas. I have dared the clouds of Jupiter and the black and freezing abysses of Neptune, which are crowned with eternal starlight. And I have sailed beyond to incommensurable suns, compared with which the sun that thou knowest is a corpse candle in a stinted vault. There in tremendous planets I have furled my flight on the terraced mountains large as fallen asteroids, where with a thousand names and a thousand images, undreamt of evil is served and worshipped in unsurmisable ways or perched in the flesh-colored lips of columnar blossoms, whose perfume was an ecstasy of incommunicable dreams, I have mocked the wiving monsters and have lured their females that sang and fawned at the base of my hiding place. 
Now, in my indefatigable questing among the remoter galaxies, I came one day to that forgotten and dying planet, which in the language of its unrecorded peoples was called Sadastor. Immense and drear and gray beneath a waning sun, far fissured with enormous chasms and covered from pole to pole with the never ebbing tides of the desert sand, it hung in space without moon or satellite, an abomination and a token of doom to fairer and younger worlds. Checking the speed of my interstellar flight, I followed its equator with a poised and level wing above the peaks of cyclopean volcanoes and bare terrific ridges of elder hills and deserts pale with the ghastliness of salt that were manifestly the beds of former oceans. In the very center of one of these ocean beds, beyond sight of the mountains that formed its primeval shoreline and leagues below their level, I found a vast and winding valley that plunged even deeplier into the abysses of this dreadful world. It was walled with perpendicular cliffs and buttresses and pinnacles of a rusty red stone that were fretted into a million bizarrely sinister forms by the sinking of the olden seas. I flew slowly among these cliffs as they wound ever downward in tortuous spirals for mile on mile of utter and unredeemable desolation. And the light grew dimmer above me as ledge on ledge and battlement on battlement of that strange red stone upreared themselves between my wings and the heavens. Here, when I rounded a sudden turn of the precipice in the profoundest depth where the rays of the sun fall only for a brief while at noon and the rocks were purple with everlasting shadow, I found a pool of dark green water, the last remnant of the former ocean, ebbing still amid steep, insuperable walls. And from this pool there cried a voice in accents that were subtly sweet as the mortal wine of Mandragora and faint as the murmuring of shells. And the voice said, Pause and remain, I pray, and tell me who thou art, who comest thus to this accursed solitude wherein I die. Then pausing on the brink of the pool, I peered into its gulf of shadow and saw the pallid glimmering of a female form that upreared itself from the waters, and the form was that of a siren, with hair the color of ocean kelp and berylline eyes and a dolphin-shapen tail. And I said to her, I am the demon Carnatus, but who art thou who lingerest thus in this ultimate pit of abomination, in the depth of a dying world? She answered, I am a siren, and my name is Lispiel, of the seas wherein I swam and sported at leisure many centuries ago, and whose gallant mariners I drew to an enchanted depth on the shores of my disastrous isle. There remains only this fallen pool, alas! For the pool dwindles daily, and when it is wholly gone, I too must perish. She began to weep, and her briny tears fell down and were added to the briny waters. Fain would I have comforted her, and I said, Weep not, 
for I will lift thee upon my wings and bear thee to some newer world where the sky-blue waters of abounding seas are shattered to intricate winds of wanest foam on low shores that are green and aureate with pristine spring. There, perchance, for eons, Thou shalt have thine abode and galleys with painted oars and great barges purpureal sail shall be drawn upon thy rocks in the red light of sunsets domed for domed with storm and shall mingle the crash of their figured brows with the sweet sorcery of thy mortal singing. But still she wept and would not be comforted, crying, Thou art kind, but this would avail me not, for I was born of the waters of this world, and with its waters I must die. Alas, my lovely seas that ran in unbroken sapphire from shores of perennial blossoms to shores of everlasting snow. Alas, the sea winds with their mingled perfumes of brine and weed and scents of ocean flowers and flowers of the land and far-blown exotic balsams. Alas, the quinquereams of cycle-ended wars and the heavy-laden argosies with sails and cordage of byssus that plied between barbaric isles with their cargoes of topaz or garnet-colored wines and jade and ivory idols in the antique summers that now are less than legend. Alas, the dead captains, the beautiful dead sailors that were born by the ebbing tide to my couches of amber seaweed in my caverns underneath a cedared promontory. Alas, the kisses that I laid on their cold and hueless lips on their sealed marmorian eyelids. And sorrow and pity seized me at her words, for I knew that she spoke the lamentable truth that her doom was in the lessening of the bitter waters. So after many proffered condolences, no less vague than vain, I bade her a melancholy farewell and flew heavily away between the spiral cliffs where I had come and clomb the somber skies till the world Sedastor was only a darkling moat far down in space. But the tragic shadow of the siren's fate and her sorrow lay grievously upon me for hours, and only in the kisses of a beautiful, fierce vampire in a far-off and young and exuberant world was I able to forget. And I tell thee now the tale thereof, that haply thou mayst be consoled by the contemplation of a plight that was infinitely more dolorous and irremediable than thine own. <laughs> you, you gave it a very uh, sad, sad um, and doleful <laughs> and sonorous reading. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's right in the title, Sad Astor, Sad Star, right? But to me, this is a joke story. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> So uh, I, I'm not one who likes to summarize um, because I think that it can somewhat um, damage comprehension and appreciation. However, um, I want to point out just the characters who are in here. So there's, uh, I, I pronounce it Charnidus. I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced. Uh, Charnidus, who is a demon. 
the fair Lamia, who is sad because she hasn't had a boyfriend in two weeks, and and then there's the the uh, not the Lamia, the um, the mermaid Siren, who uh, who's had her whole world die around her in over a period of eons, um, and and then at the end of the story, the demon says, "So you think you have it bad." This is supposed to be a comforting story to the Lamia, uh, because she hasn't had a boyfriend in two weeks. I I, I want to know what her answer is, because I think, wow, <laughs> yeah, I guess it's not so bad. Uh, my reputation's been damaged so badly in the last two weeks, I haven't had, been able to get a, a guy. Um, but this lady, she's been... And, and punctuated within the story um, is a, a giant... Uh, I saw somebody on uh, maybe it was Reddit or something said there's a giant brag, <laughs> and uh. it, it, it basically is saying you know the demon says I went to this planet I had sex with those ladies, I went to that planet and I I uh, teased those those ladies and then I dived into this uh, atmosphere and flew around and boy I was powerful back then, <laughs> so he's sort of distracted from his own story, but um. Obviously, this is not the uh, the um, the full effect of the of the story. It's just when you think about what what how the structure works and and what the purpose of this of the story within the story is, it it seems to me a humor piece. Did you not uh, find it funny? No, huh. but that doesn't that doesn't mean that that one shouldn't or couldn't. Um, I, I I certainly saw. Um, you think you've got it bad. <laughs> I know. Right. You know, I, I get that, that um, this guy is telling her is telling uh, that uh, she's she's not as bad off as as the other one, mm-hmm. not by a long shot. I get that. But uh, it seems to me that the fact that he is a braggart. Uh, and that most of his story is really about him. Yep. In fact, if Smith hadn't given us the last line, you know, I'm telling you this so that you'll feel better by comparison. Um, I, I think I'd have gotten to the end and said, well, why the hell are you telling her this? Um, however, there are many, many other questions about this story that it seems to me make it um worth considering as complicated, not not simply a lament, nor, nor simply a condolence, nor simply even a joke. Uh, for instance, we are told at the beginning, this was a tale told to a fair Lamia. Mm. Right? Yep. So the, the inner story, the one that is most, right? So the first paragraph is a front frame for a story. And one of the questions we have is who the heck is telling us this story? Mm-hmm. Right? Who is right? Who is telling us this story and why is this narrator telling it to us at all? Why is this story important for us? Okay? However, uh, one has lots of possible answers. For example, hey, even enormously powerful supernatural creatures can feel crummy and 
might be offered the false comfort of thinking, well, it's not as bad for you as it is for the other guy. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's that's that's not a joke. It's a way of saying, you know, even even the angels fight and even the gods um, have sorrows. So, you know, your situation is indeed not possible to be comforted. We all live under a sad star. Um, so that that could be one reason that it's a front frame story. But in that frame, we're told that the story is the inner story we're about to hear is addressed to a fair Lamia. Now, all of the the supernatural beings who are mentioned both in the frame and in the story are beings we would never, we humans would always think of as disasters, mm -hmm. right? We don't have Pegasus here. We've got, you know, the Sphinx. If you want to think of chimerical beings, right. we have pointed to as the one that kills people, right? So, but nonetheless, it's called, the narrator says it's a fair Lamia. And then at the end, after Caradnus, Carandus, um, or pronounce it as a CH, um, after he tells the story, he says, but the tragic shadow of the siren's fate, uh, it turns out that Lamia can sometimes be understood as siren, but mm -hmm. mostly, mostly Lamia is understood as a vampire, the very earliest vampire, and in fact, a vampire that feeds on its own young. But the tragic shadow of the siren's fate and her sorrow lay grievously upon me for hours. Oh, wow. Whole hours. This Aren't you a sympathetic fellow? <laughs> and, and only in the kisses of a beautiful, fierce vampire in a far off and young and exuberant world was I able to forget it. Now, that is a great sentence. Yep. Why? Because if he could forget it, then he can't be telling the story, <laughs> right? So he didn't forget it. So what he means is not I forgot it in the literal sense, but was I able to stop thinking about that as representing a problem? And how does he do it? He does it by kissing a beautiful, fierce vampire. Well, who is that? It's the creature he's telling the story to. <laughs> She's been lashing her serpentine tail on the ground she is a Lamia, a vampire. And what he's saying is, I'm telling you this so that you'll be happy. He's he's saying, I'm going to get with you, too, lady. It's a seduction yeah. story. Yeah, it's exactly. Your for your fortnight is over. Right. Um, yeah. I tried to help a lady. She didn't want to be helped. But do you want to be helped now? That is, in some sense, a joke. But it also, I think, is a. A real demonstration of enormous ego. Uh, it's not just that he's bragging to her. He's bragging to her that, well, I don't know what the what among mythical creatures is the equivalent of God's gift to woman, but <laughs> he's the God's gift to female uh, monstrosities. Yep. And uh, she is going to have a, a plight which is less irre irremediable. Right. Mm -hmm. Irremediable. So w what's that word mean? To, there is yeah. or is not a remedy. I am here to give you the medicine you want. Get ready. Here I come. <laughs> um, 
It's extraordinary as a seduction story. I don't know why people call it a prose poem, except that it has such um, an, an ornate assemblage of words that frankly aren't worth my effort. I mean, without, uh, I, I think it is not unreasonable to say that I've got a fairly good vocabulary. Certainly I've got a fairly good recognition vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, when I see a uh, like, Weep not, for I will lift thee upon my wings and bear thee to some newer world where the sky-blue waters of abounding seas are shattered to intricate winds of wanest foam <laughs> on low shores that are green and aureate with pristine spring. I think, prithee, shut thy screwed-up mouth. Do I really? I mean, really? I mean, I know what all of those words mean, but, you know, a wen, for example, is another name for a goiter. Right. It's it's a cancerous growth. Mm-hmm. So to the intricate winds of wanest foam. OK, wan means with the color washed out of it. So we're talking about an abounding sea. Well, of course, that's a new use of the word abound. It's as if this is a, an abundancy that is bounding along. It's clever writing. Mm. What we see is this sea is crashing along the sky blue waters are washed out by being churned as foam and that produces some sort of cancerous wanness which on the low shores are and pristine spring sure it's pristine because it has no life in it yet it's it's brand new and fresh and what he's going to do is uh is bring knowledge into the garden right he's going to screw around with this lamia um really is it worth taking the time to unpack all that um no i don't i think you're supposed to let it wash over you i don't think you need to know all of the particular like uh, i didn't when i first read i didn't know what a when was i knew what wanest meant but i let the words wash over me which i think is uh what you do in the first pass, right? So reading well, it too, did, but... yeah, reading it too deeply. I mean, one of the things is it, there's a kind of um, playfulness with the sweet, the sweet and the sour, right? So right, right at that first, um, that first stanza, um, she was a beautiful lamia. Is that is that the description? Oh, fair lamia. Well, lamias are horrible to look upon, apparently. And then later on, um, our our storyteller or inner narrator um, says that he mated with lovely basilisks. Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> basilisks again, they're supposed to turn you to stone, right? Um, mm-hmm. So presumably, but, but, not they turn, pretty. but they turn human beings into stone. He's yes. not a human being. Yes, and that's that's exactly it. That's why they speak, you know. They're uh, speaking in sort of King James Bible uh, English with thou and thee and everything sort of flowery and over overflowered. This is uh, this is a the morality of this story is upside down and inside out, right? It's uh, it's funny because he, he he he's telling us the whole way through. I'm a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> terrible guy. But um. I get the sense that uh, the fair Lamia who's receiving this story is like, okay, I'll go with you. <laughs> right? um, well, heck, it's been a fortnight. Exactly. Exactly. And 
you know, she's a monster. She she uh, she gets a bad reputation. Uh, uh, people fear her embrace and her kisses. Um, the siren, the same story. She uh, she talks about the gallant mariners, right? Um, and how you know she loved to have them uh, wash up on her her shores, be killed. And then what does she do? She she kisses their uh, what's the word? Uh, and the, oh yeah, mar- marmorian which uh, is not a word I knew, but it turns out means marble, right? Again, yeah. um, they, this is sort of the same image over and over again. These these horrible monsters um, are upset because they can't get a, a proper meal. <laughs> They're bad reputations. Um, and, and so... I I I think it's just a masterful um, cuteness. That's what this story is about. It's a masterful, cute exercise in 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 uh, a kind of flowery beauty. Um, how many times in the story do we get descriptions of the landscape and, as purple or uh, you know orient, right? And the number of times eyes and and uh, waters are compared to jewels and geology it's it's uh it's a it's a beautiful beautiful story i think but it's not meant to be taken as a a moral tale i think it's meant to be taken as an immoral tale so you can't criticize it's like Um, almost criticism proof is what i'm i'm thinking Oh yeah, I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, we're, we're not supposed to think, wasn't he a nice guy? No. Um, what we're supposed to think is, he's saying, get it on with me because you really need it, and I'm great. Yeah, um, I'm so great. Uh, let me tell but, you how great I am. I steal the the wiving monsters' wives. Uh, while I stand what atop a a column a column uh, with a with fleshy petals, and I'm like flesh-colored petals. I'm like, wow, the imagery in here is um, profound. <laughs> you know, there, there's a there's a, a, a an issue here. Um, you know, Tom Lehrer has uh, that song, There Once Was a Man Named Oedipus Rex. You may have heard of his odd complex. His name appears in Freud's Index because he loved his mother. He loved his mother like no other. His son was his daughter. His daughter was his, his sister was his daughter and his son was his brother. One thing on which you can depend is he sure knew who a boy's best friend is. When he saw what he had done, he popped his eyes out one by one. Tragic end to a loyal son who loved his mother. Now, clearly, in Lehrer's version of Oedipus Rex, it's a joke. But in fact, the facts of the story in that story, in that song, are precisely the ones in Sophocles. The difference between joke and tragedy is profoundly stylistic, not at all structural or content oriented. And so while I I respect that you see this as a joke, it seems to me that style is so conspicuous here Mm. that one really has to say, well, okay, you take the style this way, but I don't think that it's inevitable that it be taken that way. For example, 
on the first page, um, the inner narrator, the, the braggart, says, I have sailed beyond to incommensurable suns compared with which the sun that thou knowest is a corpse candle in a stinted vault. I mean, my God, he's pulling out all the damn stops, yep, right? Yep. But as he's doing it, right, a stinted vault, okay? So that means someone's not giving enough room to be for something to be in it. So it's like extinguishing, right? You, the candle gets extinguished, a corpse candle in a stinted vault. But right before that, you know, this, it, the sun is so bright that a regular sun would look as if it's not it's not burning at all. We look as if it's extinguished. That's a very serious kind of comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lewis Carroll makes a joke of it when he says things like, why you call that a, val- a mountain? I know mountains against which you would call that a valley. Uh, but it's also true that in the Renaissance, people showed the glory of God's light descending in annunciation scenes by having a candle have a wisp of smoke. Not that the candle is extinguished, but that it's as if it were extinguished. So the very same thing can be either a joke or something much more, I don't know, I won't say profound, but it could be tragic at the very least. It could be something else. And when he says, I have sailed beyond to incommensurable suns, compared to which, wait a minute, incommensurable means not capable of being measured, which means you cannot compare them. And now he goes right ahead and compares them. So not only is this guy a braggart, he is either a liar yep. or he misuses this incredibly ornate vocabulary that he has. So when we get all done letting all of this wash over us, all we're basically left with is, you know what? There is no consolation in life by knowing that other beings' lot is worse than ours. But on the other hand, we can screw. <laughs> Uh, and uh, I think there's also another one, which is um, uh, it, w- one of the effects of telling a story to somebody who's sad is that time passes. Um, and in the passing of time, uh, uh, what's funny is the, the Lamia, the tears show up a, co- a couple of times in this story. The Lamia wept mythical tears, which the serpent weeps. Uh, crocodile tears, right? They don't cry. Um, but the uh, siren, she weeps, and the the brine is at, of her tears is added to the waters of her of her pool. Um, as time goes by, you know your emotions wane, and there's a number of wanings in this story. The number of times I think ebb, ebb is the word we should use in sure, this story. Sure, um, we we actually get ebbing and flowing and and, and t- tides and. Also, and the moon. I mean, the moon is shows up a lot in here. It's it's a very um, uh, astronomical story in, in in many regards. But it also has these the the profoundest uh, adjectives: uh, incommensurable. You you mentioned that one. Unsurmisable, indefatigable, um, and then the final one: irredeemable. Right? Um, these are the hyperbolic language um, of poetry. Oh, the final one is irremediable. Irremediable. You're right. You're right. Um, so we've got these, um, you know, they don't have uh, triremes on, on that planet. They have quinquiremes. Which, right. Which, you know, it's just everything's maximized. So, um, and what's the siren's reason for staying behind? 
Uh, I can't leave. <laughs> she has no choice. Right, I can't do it. No, she says I can't go. She, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't give an actual reason. She just then describes how beautiful her her place was, right? Um, and so yeah, I mean, everything's upside down and everything is inside out. The the um the sour uh, how, it's it's like your sour is my sweet. How, how's this line uh, on the second on the second page? And from this pool there cried a voice in accents that were subtly sweet as the mortal wine of Mandragora. Well, Mandragora is mandrake, which is root. And uh, as far as I know, there are no sweet roots. You know, uh, it's bitter, right? So his his sweetness is uh, our sour, and our sour is his sweetness. So he he's loving the, all these sad ladies. He loves to tease tease um, people to their death in the same way that the the sirens and the uh, lamias and the vampires that show up in this story are mean. <laughs> are mean. Well, he is a, he is a, a young demon. I mean, he he's you know there's no bones about it here. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he he's now a, a middle-aged demon on the make, um, and he's he's found he's found his audience in uh, in sad lamia. I don't know if he's a middle-aged demon. When he says that I, I couldn't forget this story for a few hours until I had the kisses of, uh, a, of a vampire, a good-looking vampire, that could be the person to whom he's telling the story. He may just now have come back from, well, from the siren. He does say, long, long ago in the red cycles of my youth, I was like uh, all young demons. You're right. And, of course, I, I mean, yes, you are right. Just as a little aside, I would note, I don't know. Yeah, I don't believe anything he said. Trust the guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, trust his story. I mean, he's going at interstellar speed with his wings. <laughs> yes. Um, and what yeah. are the red cycles of youth? I have no idea. But I assume it's something all demons have. <laughs> oh, I thought it was maybe a Schwinn. <laughs> Could have been. I don't know. That's the problem with this story. As many words as Smith has tried to throw at us, there's still always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep.